Mark Stein here getting educated on the Mavs, listening to the all-knowing Jeff Skin Wade and Bobby Corolla on the Numbers on the Boards podcast. Welcome to Numbers on the Boards, your weekly Mavs podcast for all things Mavs basketball. I'm Bobby Corella from Mavs.com, and joining us later today will be a guy who is uh, a perfect companion to Dirk Nowitzki. He is Mavs rookie Maxi Kleba. Joining me now, though, is a guy who is a perfect companion to the giant cup of coffee he takes with him everywhere he goes. Everywhere. He is Jeff Skinwade. Bobby, I'm uh, I'm I'm like everyone else here in the Metroplex, fighting off a cold right now. So I know Maxi Kleba is going to come by. My number one priority is to not get him sick, because then Rick will just kick my ass. No secret handshakes today. No, no, no. Maybe I'll dap up his elbow or something with my elbow. Uh, but I'm excited to talk to the uh, handsome young man from Germany that's blown all of our minds. He's infinitely better than I thought he could be. Absolutely. I don't think. I mean. You watch his film from Germany and you think like, okay, this guy can play. But I don't think that any of us no. could have thought that he would be starting games. You want to hear a really unique comparison? You may have heard this, that Harp made, that on the surface you go, what? And then you think about it and go, I see exactly what he's talking about. Harp compared him to Sean Marion. The reason okay. being is because you don't have to run anything for him. And he does a little bit of everything defensively, and he just – he just fits in, and when he's open, he shoots, and, you know, knocks down. Like with Sean, you're like, is that thing – well, that thing went in. How about that? Uh, run the floor. He's actually pretty quick off the ground. I think, you know, we have a tendency to stereotype certain physical types, you know, but there will be times where he'll catch the ball, and he'll be really quick off the off the ground. It's like, man, he's, that, that's – a lot of times quickness off the ground is more important with, than the actual height you get especially with a guy who's 6'10", 6'11", however tall Maxie is. But just in terms of, you know, he is the guy, and this was, I can't remember which game it was, but you look down at the end of the night, and in 25 minutes, he had 15 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 blocks. Yeah, that's that Toronto game. If that's not a Sean Marion line, I don't know what is, right? Yep. And uh, And so, anyways, he has been beyond a pleasant surprise, so much so that, like, when I talk about the Mavericks' core now of young guys – I talk about, you know, Barnes, and I talk about Dennis Smith Jr., and I have a tendency to throw Maxie in there too. Yep. Uh, because I look at him and I go, man, he's at least your first big off the bench. If he's And I think, I think he can be a starting big on a great team depending on who the other big is because he does so many different things well. Yeah, he's had two five-block games. He's had a 20-point game. First Mavs rookie forward to score 20 since Dirk. That 15-8-5-2-2 game that you're talking about was just an incredible stat line. The only other Maverick to ever do that is Dirk. Like, he's really – the German thing where, you know, obviously we're going we're gonna to play to death, but, like, he's doing a lot of stuff that no rookie's done since Dirk. He's going to um, score 30,000 points, isn't maybe. he? Maybe. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe. Uh, but, yeah, so he he's played for a while overseas, but, I mean, he's he's still young. He's only 25, man. He's only I, 25 I, years old. I think you know, A lot of this has changed uh, because of the one and done and guys coming in when they're 18. But it used to be that a guy's prime was 27 years old. Like, okay, he's entering his prime at 27. And that was because back then most guys were coming into the league at 21 and 22 years old. And, you know, after four or five years, all right, now I've real, I know these tricks, right? Some guys pick it up fat. Well, because now, you know, guys are coming in at 19 years old. They get to their quote-unquote prime sooner. But, you know, we're 15 years removed from, man, he's two years away from his prime. 
So I think you definitely need to look at him as a good young piece. And God, the Mavericks have kind of settled into this thing where they get these fines, whether it's Yogi or Maxi or whoever, and they do these really team friendly contracts where the guy, you know, he's not sure if he's going to make the league, so he'll take the guarantee, but then if he does what they want him to do, you're looking at it going, God, that's an amazing amount of production for such a little amount of contract against your salary cap, and and Maxi fits into that mold. Yeah, I mean, he's starting on a minimum contract. Awesome. I think they have him for another year, maybe mm-hmm. two, but I think just one more after this. But and it, we don't want to get into salary cap no, minutia, sure, yeah. but if he ends up, you know, you really like him at the end of this deal, he's gonna, you're going to have his early bird rights and mm-hmm. some degree of control there. So it's, uh, it's As he's entering his prime. Yes. Like we're talking about. But yeah, I think, uh, so one of the things that we're going to talk to him about is playing overseas. He's played with uh, in Valencia in Spain, and he's played for Bayern Munich, who's like the super team in Germany. I feel like Bayern Munich would be a great name for a superhero from Germany. It would Germany. be, man. It yeah. would be. We should uh, we should write some some comic books about Still, that. Still, I do don't think? know why we wouldn't. Um, but yeah, and I think his experience there has helped him kind of buy into these like abstract concepts of like playing within your role, playing mm-hmm. within the team, um, being willing to like guard Towns one night and Durant the next night. We're going to talk about all that stuff, and also developing as a, a role man too. I mean, he's throwing down lobs all the time. Too. Yeah, kind of talking about that deceptive athleticism. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to him, and then also on the other side, we're going to talk about these last five games and uh, and get into some of that. But now I think it's time to uh, to hear from the big German. He's walking in the door. There he is, joining us now on Numbers on the Boards. His first year Maverick, but longtime pro, Maxi Kleba. Maxi, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of what a ride it's been for you in your first year in Dallas? Yeah, it, I mean it's been crazy since I'm since I got here. You know. I've, I was here in August working out with Dirk and not knowing what expects me, what it, what is expecting me, and uh, you know I was just trying to work hard and try to fit in into the team, learning the system. It's a new style of basketball, and every coach is different. So obviously, when I came here, you know I had to learn different stuff, what Rick wants from players and so on. So it's been a hell of a ride, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's real interesting for a young player having to go through different things. I mean, playing in a completely different league. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we see that with your shot a little bit, and you've talked about that, being used to shooting a shorter three and getting acclimated to that. But what would you say is before you came here, what was the style of basketball you were playing before? Um, you know, it's the court is a little bit more packed, and you as, a, as defense you can sink in more because there's no three-second uh, for the defense. So it makes it a little bit easier tougher you know and also easier for defense but tougher for offense to to get into the paint and score so here especially with the guards now for me what was tough at the beginning um, they are very fast and they have a lot of space so in Germany I was switching a lot you know keeping the guards in front of me but here it's way tougher obviously because they have so much space and they're way quicker so they have an easier shot to the basket so that was a big part and yeah, the next thing was the three-point line. You know, it's it's easier to shoot in Europe. It, you feel the difference definitely. So you got to get in more legs, and, and I'm I'm working on it. You know, and I have to get better on it. I know that, but I'm you know optimistic I can do that. Yeah, I remember after that, the first time that you guys went to Golden State, you were in the starting lineup by that point, and you were guarding Kevin Durant. <laughs> and I think that caught everyone by surprise. That like, because I mean, you know, you're six ten, you play rim running center on one end, and then you know on the other, you're guarding like this freak of nature. And after the game, you were like, yeah, I mean, I'm used to guarding small forwards, but they don't make them over there like <laughs> like KD. There's no, no KDs in Germany. Not like KD. I mean, if he catches the ball, you know he's a threat from every position. He can shoot it. He can dribble it. So it's very tough. He's super quick. And he's strong, too. Like, he got a good core. So um, even though he's skinny, you know, he's he's super strong. So 
he's a very good player and it's tough to defend him. I mean, you you just got to try to make every shot as hard as possible. That's I, another guy who grew up uh, with Dirk as his favorite player. Yeah, KD. absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's pretty obvious. Well, I don't want to make any assumptions. I'm assuming Dirk was your favorite player growing up. Yeah. I mean, I was a big Kobe fan uh-huh. and Dirk fan. But, I mean, everybody in Germany probably was a Dirk fan because, you know, he's he's the German hero. It was everybody in Germany a Kobe fan? Probably no. Yeah. <laughs> Dirk and Kobe weren't rivals, though. I mean, Dirk loves Kobe. They have a mutual respect. Yeah. is pretty awesome. In fact, Dirk's love for Kobe made me like yeah. Kobe more. I yeah, mean, I, sure. I, I never said anything like that. But I was, <laughs> I was just back then, it was, for me, it was, you know, I liked to watch Kobe back then and... And Derek, those were the two guys. So, I, I want to ask you about uh, you're kind of hinting on you didn't know what your what was expected of you, but I want to know what you expected of yourself because I mean I didn't know much about you, and you get here and it's like okay, well you know he's in his mid twenties, he's from the same city as Dirk. I really didn't know much about you, and quite honestly, I was like, oh, he'll probably be spending most of his time in Frisco or whatever. And then you get here, you're in the starting lineup, you can one night defend Carl Anthony Towns and the next night defend Kevin Durant, and I'm confident when you have the ball, and you've exceeded every single expectation I've had by a, by a million miles, but I don't know what you expected of yourself coming here this year. Um, you know, when I came here, what I expected for myself was I just wanted to work hard and, and make it happen, you know. Um, there's always, you know, this league is crazy and it's fast and you never know what, what's going to happen. You need a shot for sure, too. You need to get your chance and everything but um you know I was preparing myself for making it you know I wanted I wanted to work hard practice and try to you know work my, myself into the lineup and um yeah I mean it maybe you know the bad start helped me too because then we try to change something what's pretty bad is that we have some players out right now um I think that's that sucks but um for me there was also another opportunity you know to to show myself and you know I think what you got to do uh, when your new guy is playing hard, nobody knows you, so that's how you can impress people, I guess. You know, you can you can always make shots or miss shots, but if you play hard and, and try your best on defense on the defensive end and try to help the team, that's a big plus. Coming over from Europe, though, I would assume. I mean, not only is one of the challenges fitting in on the court, like learning the speed of the game, being able to keep up with these guys who are who are just extremely athletic, but also fitting in off the court. There are guys who have, who have come over from Europe, like uh, Huertas from Barcelona, came over here, played with the the Lakers, and he just said, I mean, he, I think he gave an interview like in Spanish or maybe in Portuguese or something afterward. It was just like it just didn't work out for him. Like he, he could never really fit in with the NBA culture. And Dirk kind of went through that. And all these other guys, Porzingis is going through that now. Teodosic uh, with the, the Clippers going through that now too. So like how do you feel like you fit in off the floor like with with all these guys in, in kind of the NBA way of life? I mean, I love it. <laughs> it it's completely different, you know, just by the fact that we have so many games and we travel so much and – and you'll spend probably way more time with your teammates, but I love it. It's fun, you know. I like basketball. I like playing, so I don't mind the traveling at all. And I mean, we we travel super comfortable. It's different over there, so <laughs> I'm I'm used to different stuff. So coming yeah, here, yeah, I'm just enjoying everything. You know, it's it's everything is like another level. And Dallas women are pretty. <clears throat> what is that? Dallas women are real pretty, aren't they? Pretty. Oh, <laughs> I'm, be, I'm being I'm being I'm being a real Texan over here. Yeah, I can't. There's some lovely. That yet. <laughs> and I, I speak Texan. There's some lovely women in America yeah. and in Dallas, especially. I sure. Would say. Yeah. That's a that's an eye. I mean, you're yeah. you're a handsome guy in his 20s and you're an NBA ball player. So, I would imagine it's it's an interesting time for you as a young man in the world. It is, but you know, I have a girlfriend, so I'm okay. happy. Oh, don't let that. her listen to this. Well, 
might make her listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> I would like to apologize to Maxie's girlfriend. I didn't know he had a, he had a girlfriend. I'm sorry, ma'am. What's her name? Amelie. Uh, uh, so she came with you, or yeah, she's here, but she has to go back take tests. She's studying medicine. So all right. So you're trying to marry a doctor. Okay, Look cool. at you marrying up. Yeah, might need hip replacements when I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hopefully, Hopefully not, man. <laughs> Hopefully not. Save that for your 40s. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm 40. It's, it's tough. So, okay. So this is your first year in America. Yeah. And before that, you spent time in Germany, obviously growing mm -hmm. up there, and then you played pro in Spain. Mm -hmm. but they don't speak English really in either of those countries, and you speak pretty much. I mean, you couldn't understand Purdy. I can't yeah, blame you for that. I don't think. That was the uh, first time I heard a Texan song, yeah. though. I never heard it before. So I think there's people like, in Minnesota that don't understand me saying oh, Purdy, yeah. so don't worry about it. Yeah, it's it's like a foreign language, yeah. this, this Texan. But, uh, I mean, for, for a guy who hasn't spent much time in America, you speak really good English. When did you pick that up? I mean, because Dirk came over here, for example, and could hardly speak a word. He can only yeah. say obviously. Yeah. That was like the only word he could say. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. And uh, and he just kind of it took him years to pick it yeah. up, but I mean, you it's like it's almost second nature. Yeah, for you. but I guess it's different. You know, first of all, I'm older, so I'm 25 now. Dirk came over when he was like 19, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it was tough for me at the beginning too. But I played with American teammates since I'm 16, so you know, when you get used to talking in English and every practice is in English, you get used to it. But the first time I remember, uh, I was 16. We had American teammates. They were talking to me. I was like. Two times I asked him, like, what, what? And I, ch I just nodded because I didn't understand. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> They're like, pass me the ball. You're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> and then who, it, you know, who, got better. who are some of the guys that you played with? Uh, you probably don't know them. That, no. was, that was in the fourth league, Germany. Oh, you know, like okay. Monty Rogers, Stanley Hodge. But, you know, I had other teammates. Um, let's see, you know, Delaney, he, he was... He was before me there. I got. I got to think of somebody if, if somebody's here right yeah. now. Because in the in you the know. German league, it's mostly German players, right? I mean, in Spain, in Spain, you'll see guys from all over Europe, yeah, really, and even from America yeah, too. But in, in Germany, it's mostly Germans and Americans. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, as we you know talk about you coming over here and all this, had you been over here a bunch playing basketball, or was this your first time coming over to the states? Um, I was in the U.S. for the Nike Global Challenge in Portland one time. Mm-hmm. And then I had a tryout in Atlanta that was two years ago, two and a half years now. And so, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, Dirk, and there's an assumption you guys are from the same hometown and stuff, but has Dirk helped you with this acclimation at all? And if so, in what ways? You know, um, I've been here since August and we worked out together, so we spent a lot of time talking you just, and I think that helped me, you know, just to prepare for the season and what's, what's coming up, like, a lot of traveling. He he told me it's it's very important um, to rest your body because it's it's going to be different. Eighty two games. <laughs> I mean, right now we probably played the whole season that I had last year already. So <laughs> right. in like two months. Yeah, in, in two and a half months. So it's it's super different. But you know, he helped me and and at the beginning, especially when I was here by myself. You know, he he invited me to his house and we spent a little bit of time. So that was cool. Kay. I met you the night of his. Uh tennis event mm -hmm. uh, there at the Jewel Hotel. And that was really the first time I'd sort of seen you. I don't know if that was like early September or whenever that was. Yeah. And I'm and I'm looking at you at this point, and I had no idea you were going to be starting for the team and contributing in such a big way. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> what a great so ride bad. so far. Well, it, what was really cool, too, is um, the guys that work with Dirk, uh, Thomas Plutzinger and, and, and those guys, they made yeah. a video about you. Yeah. Um, they, they produced it, I'm assuming, before the season, before – like right at the beginning of training camp is when they were filming that. Yeah. But the video came out like after the season had already started. Basically, you're already getting big minutes. And this movie comes out where it's like you're saying, well, I don't know what my role is going to be. Hmm. I'm just really excited to be here. And meanwhile, like little did you know that a month later, you'd be like in the starting lineup going up against Towns. 
Yeah, but you know, for me, still, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy everything, and it's for me, it's very special to be starting right now. Um, and I try to, you know, give my best to, to earn it every night. Um, obviously, it doesn't work out every time because, like I said, it's, it's different. Playing every second night, um, is pretty tough if you're not used to it. But uh, you know, like I said in the video, I just want to go here and, and do my best, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. There's a there's a stereotype of European players, young European players, learning about American culture through American rap music. Like there's the whole bit about Porzingis watching world star hip hop and stuff. <laughs> uh, what are your music tastes like? Were you, were you in American music at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm listening a lot to hip hop, so you know. Were you doing that before you came over? Yeah. 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 Who are some of your favorites? Uh, I'm like. Lil Wayne, Eminem, Drake, those are my... The biggies, the heavyweights. Has Dennis turned you on to J. Cole at all? I, I listened to J. Cole too, but o already before, so... Oh, I, I mean, okay. I listened to Kendrick Lamar too, but you asked me for my favorite, so I would say those are my three favorites. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it cool that look over there and J. Cole was running down the court in the middle of a Mav game? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 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 it's different, you know? <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to in Bayern Munich. <laughs> right. When a couple nights later you guys are in Atlanta and you look over there and it's Migos and yeah. Gucci Mane and I think uh, someone else was there I think Lil Yachty was there like it's yeah. crazy the NBA is uh, it's a Packed it's a circus stars, out there. yeah I know all of them so it's it's different you know you don't you don't see that like this you know we had we had some soccer players that are pretty famous um, you might not know him though <laughs> right so here it's different yeah I follow soccer I know like so Tony Cruz for example is a big Tony he's a big Cruz, Mavs yeah. fan so I mean he I think he's he's still with Madrid right Real Madrid. So, I mean, do you know him at all? I mean, no, not personally. No, okay, because he's like the biggest Dirk fan I think outside of the states. Is this that guy, right? He's like a super duper duper ultra star in soccer, and uh, yeah, he's a huge Mavs fan. He's always tweeting about the games. He like gets up in the middle of the night to watch them and everything. So I don't know much about soccer. Is Pele still a big deal? Pele? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, he he's been he's been out of the game for a couple years. Okay, now, I didn't know. But, uh, yeah, he still scores a million goals. Okay, well, so. I want to jump in here. What is the part of your game that's good that we haven't seen yet? Uh, I think, I, you know, I can I can drive the ball at times too, but um, right now I'm out there with four scores. So um, for me, my role is playing the system, and it's setting good screens and taking the open ones. And I think the more I play, the more I will get comfortable with everything. But right now, you know, I want to make the right decisions and, and not – I'm, I don't want to play out of my game right now here, right. so it's 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 different. And hands are quicker, defenders are quicker, so it's not like in Europe I can pass by guys easily. So you know, it's nothing I want to play with right now when you when you don't feel that comfortable. So I'm I'm staying with the things I'm doing right now. One thing about your game that is kind of like it seems like it's evolving lately. You're doing it more is rolling to the basket yeah. and being a lob threat. Earlier in the year you weren't really doing a lot of that, but now I mean you're getting you're getting a couple alley oops every game. Yeah, I rarely roll in Europe, so. Um, I'm, I was not used to playing pick and roll, but we worked on it. We worked on the angle of the screen, on the speed of getting out of the screen and reading stuff. So I think it's gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, it, watching the games just as a fan, it seems like that part is easy. Just like you just run to the yeah. basket and you just jump and catch the ball. But like there is kind of an, a science to it. I mean, yeah, it, it depends on what the defense does. You know, the last games I didn't have any because they sink more in, you know, then you got to find the outside man and, and the shot. But there's always like, if I'm rolling and I'm rolling good, it should be a loop or a weak side that's open. And, and you know, it's one time it's me, one time it's the other one. And it, that's, that's why it's a team sport, you know, you're never by yourself out there, but you try to make the right decision, um, no matter if it's for you or for another guy. So, How much about Mark Cuban did you know before you got here? Uh, 
I mean, <coughs> I, I know he's the owner, or I knew he he's the owner, and I knew he he invented some like the broadcast, correct? Like the, he did. He the, made his money in yeah, the internet, the yeah. sport. Yeah, with the internet. Did you know that he was like a big celebrity over here? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, back then there was Saturday night or Saturday evening. There were like highlights of basketball and everything. And every once in a while, you know, if Dirk made a crazy shot, I remember back then when when Kobe made that baseline left-handed shot. You know, they they showed him like he was clapping for Kobe. You know, I know he was a celebrity. Yeah, I, it's always or interesting. He is a celebrity. You know? it, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we have had this long-standing uh, rivalry with the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And before Shark Tank, the TV show that Cuban's on, came out, you know, Spurs fans just seemed to hate him, and he was, ah. And then that show came out, and they all, like, want to hug him and get his autograph now. it's <laughs> The power of celebrity is a pretty fascinating thing, just seeing the, the people change around Mark, and Mark is really the same guy he's yeah, been the whole time. Yeah, yeah. They still know him from Shark Tank, man. I yeah. Mean, like, you go anywhere, people are like, oh, my gosh, that's the guy that's on Shark Tank. My friends are like, oh, that guy is Shark Tank. Like, they don't oh, almost don't even know he's on the billionaire owner of the Mavericks. Yeah, what are yeah, you talking like, about? Really the does, NBA yeah. is way cool. Than you know, Shark <laughs> no offense, all due respect to Shark Tank, it's a great show. But uh, yeah, okay, Maxie, is there anything else that you wanted to to say or talk about before we get you out here? I know we, uh, you got a game tonight, and uh, you're in the middle Not kind really of really, un- unless you got something to ask. No, okay, so well, I, I do have something actually. Uh, Paul Zipser still with the Bulls, right? Yeah. So he, that's a German guy. Yeah, How close are you with like him, Schroeder? You know, mm-hmm. some of the other Germans in the NBA. Um, so I played with Paul Zipser over in Germany in one team, so we were teammates. So Obviously, it's a little bit more contact. You know, yesterday um, when they arrived, we met and just talked a little bit. Obviously, Dirk's my teammate, so <laughs> I'm talking with him a little bit. And also, you know, Tyson Schroeder, we played national team, so um, we talk. Um, and especially when we when we in the cities, you know, we try to meet or talk a little bit. That know. game against Boston, you you blocked Tyson pretty good, I yeah. think, right? So did yeah. you you let him know about that? <laughs> no. No. Did you say anything in German? Any, no. No. Yeah. You didn't say Auf geht's? <laughs> Auf geht's. <laughs> I, I didn't say it. You know, I'm I'm usually not not that much of a talker unless you won the game at the end, but we didn't win the game, so <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll be able to say something to Zipser tonight yeah. after the after the buzzer. That's what I hope for too. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming by, dude. A lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, guys. thank you, Max. That's Max on Numbers on the boards. Wow. There he goes. Look at that handsome young man. Young Maxi Kleba. So <laughs> it's it's great to uh it's great to like chat with him too because he's he's very likable. He is very likable. He's a very nice guy. Just yeah. very like warm. He like talks with a smile on his face. Yeah. You know? And, and you, you mentioned to him about his English being really good. It, it is excellent. I yeah. mean. He, he doesn't really get the drawl yet. I think he'll get there in time. Right. But uh, yeah, he is a, he's a real purdy fellow. He is. He's a purdy young man. Um, and he's been a big part of. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry, Bobby. I'm sick. Your illness is showing. My illness is showing. Not like in a rap way, like I'm physically got the sick. Well, you, I mean, you are ill too. I'm ill, yo. For sure. Illmatic. But, um, but, uh, he, he's, uh, it's the development of him and the development of Dwight Powell has certainly given this team an ability to play different styles of basketball. And I think, you know, we've seen them be able to adapt and play whatever they need to play. I mean, early on in the year, I think it hurt the team that they played so small. But then, the unit that you were the first guy I thought I saw nationally really talking about the unit with three point guards on the floor, playing small and having Dirk and Dwight out there. But they can play any type of basketball. I really think we've seen that manifest itself, especially since Dennis has come back with this five-game stretch of just devastating basketball. Yeah, they're playing big time. So, okay, so real quick trivia. Yeah. Uh, Over the last 20 games, Dwight Powell, 13th in the NBA in dunks. Is that right? Yeah. 
13th in the NBA. I mean, and that that pick and roll game we're going with JJ and Yogi and Devin, like that is they're cruising right now. They're cruising, and I hope uh, you know we don't expect you to listen to numbers on the boards in sequential order. So if yes, you have do. okay, if you have been, you're killing it. God bless you. If you haven't, go back and listen to the one we did with Dwight Powell because he explains his development as a role guy, and uh, and then if you look at it, you know, I, I mean, the confidence there is a, a play against Golden State where J.J.'s coming in on the right side. And the big that's back is David West, who is not a rim protector. David West is a position defender. And J.J. could have continued to go all the way in with his right hand and probably gotten the shot off closer to David West. It wouldn't have been like going in against Jordan Bell, for example, in the same game. But without going further in, he threw the lob to Dwight. And it wasn't necessarily the right read, but it was an indication of the confidence level that they have in Dwight, that he's going to go get that. And they're starting to develop that with Maxi as well. Mm, yeah, and those dunks are like, they're only worth two points, but they're kind of worth more than that. It's like an invigorating. Momentum it dunk. Gets, it, gets the, it gets the house rolling, too. And, like, the thing is, too, dunks on the road. I mean, you go, you go to road games. Whenever they get those, like, insane alley-oops going, like, it changes the feel of a game. It does. Like, it shuts the crowd up, or, like, it gives kind of like, like ooh. Like, yeah. It, it really kind of changes things. It's the ultimate exclamation point in basketball. I mean, the obviously, the... The rise of the three-point shot is huge, and it counts for more. But, I mean, let's face it, that's what people want to see. They want to see this incredible – the reason basketball is so amazing is because it's a unique mixture of brute force and just sheer athletic grace. What some of these guys are capable of doing and defying gravity. And, I mean, the Dennis Smith Jr. two-hand dunk against Golden State, I swear – was an amazing play. It was an amazing play, and I swear the dudes on the Golden State bench wanted to jump up. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to, but they're like, oh. You do see that sometimes guys will, like, grab each other's legs, like, don't yes. move, don't move. Like, uh. Yes, and, dude, okay, so here's another thing. So uh, when I'm doing the home games and I'm sitting next to Harp, you know, Harp's big dude. And so a lot of times – like if something you know kick ass is happening, I'll take my left elbow and I'll dig it in the harp, like <laughs> kind of like what you're talking about, right? Well, in that game, it was so electric. Harp was doing the same thing to me, and when we're kind of crammed in there, and when Yogi got the steal and went to the corner and started to shoot that three, me and Harp stood up and we were sticking our elbows <laughs> in each other's sides and. Stood up as that ball went in the air. Now it didn't go in, but it was just the electricity of the building like lifted us up. And you know, Followell's got to keep us cool because yeah. he's the one that's like you know giving everybody the details. Me and Harper acting like kids over <laughs> here and we're elbowing each other, and ah, that was awesome. Man. Dude, the cojones on that shot, by the way, was. I mean, there was a lot of other stuff that happened in that game that yeah. is worth talking about, but that play was like, dude. That's playing of, like you believe you're here and you're supposed to win. Oh, for that's sure. That's what that is. For sure. Yeah, it, it was reminiscent of. 06 game one against the Spurs whenever Stackhouse, I don't know if he caught a pass or got a rebound or whatever, and he had a dunk to tie it and was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Backpedal to three-point line and missed the shot, unfortunately, too. But, like, right. it just shows, man, you, you believe in yourself. You believe in yourself. Yeah. And Yogi, why shouldn't he, man? Undrafted, uh, all-team, that, you know, all-rookie yeah, team. And, that's lost in all this. With all this talk about these young guys, Yogi was second-team all-rookie last year. Mm-hmm. And he's still, he's what, 23? How old is Yogi? Uh, 23, 24. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, man, there, there's some good young talent the Mavericks yeah, He got maybe the loudest road ovation that I've ever seen. By In the Indiana? We went to Indiana, yeah. yeah. I mean, louder than Dirk, louder than Carlisle, who coached there. Like, mm-hmm. those guys love him up there, and he had a really good game. Yeah, he played high school ball there, and obviously was great at IU. Yeah, very great at IU. All-time starts leader, I think. I think he's, and he's 
their all-time assist leader, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. And one of their scoring leaders, too. Yeah. Uh, okay, so all these games that we've been talking about, Toronto with, with uh, Maxi that we talked to him about, the indie game with Yogi, Golden State, they all came in this five-game stretch where if you go back a month ago, we're talking to Dwight Powell, what are we talking about? Closing games. Mm-hmm. Talking about how these clutch games are just not going their way. In these last five, though, they have a 4-1 and one record. All five games were in the clutch. Golden State being the one loss, which came on basically kind of a buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. They're learning how to close games. A lot of that has to do with the Rook. A lot of that has to do with Harrison Barnes, too, who was right. awesome against Golden State. Yep. Um, what are what are you seeing? Is something different, or is it is it just a belief? Are they playing I, better basketball? What's going on? I don't think that they're necessarily playing better basketball. I think so. Uh, when we were doing, I was doing some post game stuff, and the producer of Mavs Live was like. Hey, and this was after we had won three in a row. This was before the fourth game. I think this was after the New Orleans game. That was one of the best offensive games. It was spectacular. It was incredible. incredible. And I almost thought that we were going to lose it when Anthony Davis got going. Yeah. But uh, the producer was like, hey, uh, have we turned a corner? Has something changed? And I was like, no. And the reason is is because I would maintain that there is no way that you can play – in 17 clutch games before Christmas and not be a good basketball team. Mm. And it's we talked about this on the podcast, learning how to close. But, like, the way in which they're playing was not different. It, it, it wasn't. Uh, to be even be in those games, you have to play good basketball for the majority of the game to be there. Now some things were going their way a little bit. It's not just as simple as make or miss league, but that's a part of it as well, but also making smarter decisions down the stretch. And I think specifically seeing Dennis Smith Jr. do some of the things he's been doing at the end of games. We talked about this. He came into this league, and he's never, ever been in games where there's multiple guys that can meet him at the rim. I mean, there may be one dude on another team, maybe. But Golden State, for example, three guys at the same time, Bell, Green, Durant. I mean, I think those three guys on the floor together, how are you supposed to score inside on those guys? Teams don't. Teams don't, They they don't. And so my whole point is that the the style of play has been there. The the caliber of play has been there. Now it's learning the little ticks and the little nuances, what's going to work, what's not going to work. Um I would. I mean, obviously, the scoring the final eleven points against Oklahoma City—that's huge. I mean, that's in Russ's building on the MVP, and the MVP was playing good. And that house was packed, and those guys were going crazy there. Is that the loudest place you've ever been? It is. Okay, so game one, game five. I went to, or game two and game five. Sorry, mm-hmm. in that series a couple years ago in OKC. I was at the arena during the finals in 2011, and I think that building was louder than the AAC in the finals. And yeah. that's no slight to the AAC. Those people are insane. The the three loudest places, that and in even specific moments. So being in Portland when Brandon Roy went nuts oh, in game two. Oh, I bet two, that place was – Or that was game four, I'm sorry. Uh, that was bonkers. Yeah. That was – no, that would – was that game four? That was bonkers. Game, yeah, that was game four. Yeah. Um, and then I was at – uh, what's it, it used to be called Arco Arena in Sacramento, the Nick Van Exel game. Cowbells and everything. That was that was like a You were at that game? What were you doing back then? So back then I was working on the ticket post-game show. Okay. And they sent me on the road mm. for uh, to, to cover the team during the playoff stretch. And um, and so I was at that game, and that was what I would call – you know, people always go, well, it's a college atmosphere. One of the things that I would say be, is makes a college atmosphere a college atmosphere is the simple construction of the buildings. Like, if, you, if you're in the American Airlines Center, it's wide, okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of these college buildings are more vertical. 
because they stack you up and you feel like you're on top it's of like it. It's like that field house kind of. Exactly. And so Arco, it was like steep going up. And so it you feel enclosed and the sound is just, it's just all around you, you know. And so that to me was what stands out as the loudest place I've ever been. Uh, but I haven't been to all the arenas and all these different situations like Harp and Followell have, obviously. But those stand out, you know, Portland during the Brandon Roy game, uh, the Nick Van Exel game in Sacramento, I'll just never forget that. And then numerous times in Oklahoma City, it's just it's just bonkers. Yeah, and there were, there were multiple instances in that game, too, where it wasn't just Dennis who had a big shot. There was one play, this is at the end of the first half, um, OKC was going on a run. I think Dallas was up by like 10 at some point in that in that quarter, and OKC scored like five or six in a row. And this place is like – it's a standing ovation with like a minute left in the second quarter of a game. And you're like, you never see this anywhere no. else. I mean, it's, it's crazy up there, and Yogi yeah. comes down and hits a shot. And like – his reaction was like, dude, this it felt like a playoff game because it's just so loud in there. So, yeah. like, for them to win there is not easy. And OKC has had their struggles this year, but that team is still good at home. Yeah, and they had uh, – that that was kind of a, a, a stretch where they had turned it around a little bit. Yeah, I think they won, one, like, four out of their I, last five or I something. I believe that's right. So, you know, uh, obviously Toronto came in as the hottest team in the league. We beat them here. Playing Indiana on the second night of a – the Indiana had a back-to-back too, but you're in their building – uh, that was big. Losing an hour. We didn't get to Indy till like 1, 1.30 in the morning. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was extremely cold there, too. Oh, I, it wasn't got, two degrees or something? Uh, negative wind chill. Oh yeah. It was, it was brutal. So when you take all that into account, just massive, uh, massive stretch. And I thought they played outstanding against Golden State. And I – it, I, I didn't take it as uh, a moral victory, and I know they were saying all the right things. I just took it as this is the way we've been playing. This is who we are, and sometimes you're going to lose because Steph Curry hits a three with three seconds to go. That's that's the NBA. Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, how many how many guys are you comfortable with letting them take a 28 foot pull up to to win a game? I mean, like the Mavs are going to live with that shot from just about anybody. Steph is like the one exception. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I mean, uh, them not calling a timeout didn't allow Dallas to get their best defenders out on the floor. Maybe that changes something. Maybe it doesn't, but they don't have to call a timeout. They know mm-hmm. exactly what to do. Yep. Uh, and they made the shot, man. It's the way it goes. Yep, it is the way it goes. Great game, though. Awesome. And they game. have been playing well. But like you were saying earlier, before this winning streak, so at, at Christmas, on Christmas Day, they were 1-18 in mm. clutch games. 1-18. Mm. And, like, those are basically many times they're coin flip games. And yeah. their one win was that Barnes buzzer beater. Right. So they could easily be 0-19 any time the score is within five minutes inside – or five points inside the last five minutes of a game, mm-hmm. which is, like, absurd. Even the worst teams win, like, 20 or 30% of those games. Yeah. Since then, they're 4-1. So maybe there has been a corner turned. Um I think in most of those games, they're playing from ahead down the stretch as opposed to trying to come back. That makes it easier, too, because they can put defenders out there. They right. don't have to put – you know, whenever you're trying to erase a lead, you got Dirk out there, which makes it harder to defend. Right. Whenever you're ahead, you can put Powell or Sala or whoever out there, and it kind of makes it a little easier, too. So I think their positioning in the game was better. Dennis is a bad man. Mm-hmm. He's a very bad man. I can't. I, I'm not. Not that I'm not enjoying this, but I. I just can't wait for next year. Yeah, dude. What about five years from now? Oh my I god. I mean, if he can stay, if everything stays healthy and all good, I mean, twenty-five-year-old Dennis Smith Jr. with you know five years of NBA experience. Yeah, come on, man. Figuring it out, and you're starting to see him too. I mean. It seems like, and maybe this is just because we went so long without watching him. He was he missed, I think, six games, mm-hmm. right? And then yes. he came back and was kind of meh for those first two. It was mm-hmm. that that Atlanta Miami back to back, not too good. But since then, 
really seems like he's changing speeds better. He's yeah. not just playing super fast all the time. Like it seemed like early in the year he would just come off a screen and just like go as hard as he could at the basket. But right. now he's kind of he's a shifty. He's doing some some dribbling, some change of speeds, some going left, spinning right. I mean, he's like he's manipulating guys better. Yeah, and I I think part of that is the game experience, but I think also a lot of that is study. Um, you know, it, it, people have a tendency to just kind of forget how you get to where you get. You know, and so it's like, okay, we got the player, now let's uh, be great. There, there's, I mean, I was rereading that article that came out a couple of years about ago about how 24-year-old Steph Curry had to rebuild his ankles and all that. You know, it's like there, there's such a long process to get to where you're elite. And he's got all the tools to be elite. I think the thing, and you can even tell when Rick is doing his post-game, you know, presser, uh, it's there. It's just got to be fully unfolded, and he's got to be fully committed. And I think everyone's confident that all that's going to happen. But the hardest part is to get the guy that can actually do it. Uh, that's the hardest part. You got that part done. Now it's the execution of the plan. And and he's going to – he wants it. I mean, that's the other thing. I don't I, – he doesn't appear – I'm not like I'm spending a bunch of time with Dennis Smith Jr., but he doesn't appear to want the lifestyle. He appears to wants to want being great. And yep. there's a huge – I mean, look, I'm not taking shots. James Harden's an amazing player, but there was a long period of time where James Harden wanted the lifestyle too. And you can go read articles about how the Rockets had to go to him and go, hey, by the way, uh, guys who spent all their time in the clubs, here's Steve Francis done at 30. You know, do, is that what you want? Because if that's what you want, you can do that too. Yeah, and he's come out and said stuff like that too where you, you got to cut drinking, got to eat better. Yes. All of a sudden you lose 20 pounds and you're an MVP. Right. Uh, there's just so much that goes into it. Uh, so I, I just think, I think quite honestly, I think Dennis is ahead of schedule, at least of my schedule, like what I, what my expectations were and what I thought, I think he's ahead of it right now. Yeah. These last three games, like 15 points, eight assists, I think awesome. is what he's averaging, which is like, if you do that, even if you're never any better than that, like you're good, you're good. Baby. But yes, the one thing that Rick said, this is after the Raptors game. Uh, they won that game. Dennis was 3 of 14 in that game. Mm -hmm. So you look at the box score, you think, yuck. Right. After the game, Carlisle says, tonight proved that this kid's going to be a great player. Yes. And you're thinking, like, well, what, wait a minute, what are you talking about? He shot 20% from the field. He had, whatever, two, three turnovers. But it's not about the stats. It's about how he's playing, getting in the lane. He had 21 drives in that game. 21. Well, that's huge which number. Which is incredible. Yeah. Like, that's, and he only played 25 mm -hmm. minutes. I think so, Russ led the league last year with 20 a game, and it was outrageous. Yeah, and that's like he, the ball is in his hands all the time. Right. Dennis is not like a ball stopper. No. Uh, not that Russ is, but he. Yeah. I'm, I'm, by that I mean the ball's not going through him every single time down the floor. Some people have a negative connotation when you say ball dominant. Mm -hmm. It can be good. It can be bad. Uh, you know, in the case of Russ, I would maintain that it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's worked out for him and his team okay. Yeah. But uh, Dennis in that game only played 25 minutes. So he's wow, getting – I didn't realize that. Yeah, so he's in the paint almost once per minute and like you only touch the ball you only have the ball like once or twice per minute so right. I mean he's every single time down the floor he was just relentless and that's like it's a really good defensive team really long defensive team yes too. yes absolutely so that's the kind of stuff that I've seen from him just the ability to make things happen using the dribble going one-on-one -on -one against big guys I mean he 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 did Draymond pretty good yeah, that two-handed dunk was against Jordan Bell, who yeah. was like a defensive freak. Yeah, don't know how that guy ended up in the second round, but whatever, we can talk about that. Golden State does more. okay with their second rounders too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they don't. And you know what? The Golden State model 
Steph Curry, Harrison Barnes, Clay Thompson, none of those guys drafted in the top five this or is top what, six. This is what I've been telling people. Like everyone goes, "Well, you got to tank to beat Golden State," and I was like, "Why? They didn't tank." Yeah, they. Did. I mean, make the most. They of weren't your picks. very good. Yeah, yeah, but they just hit their they hit their picks out of the park. They hit their picks out of the park. Pick the right guy. Yep. You know, I mean, I think Devin Booker is going to be a star in this league. He won a top ten pick. He didn't even start for the Kentucky, not once, which is not amazing once. to me. You go back and watch that team, you're like, this guy. I mean, all due respect to the Harrisons. Booker was much better than them in college, mm-hmm. and but wasn't he? I believe he was seventeen. Yeah, college. he was yeah. a he was a baby. Yeah, I think whenever he was drafted, he was eighteen years right. old. Right, and I mean Dennis after drafted, a year of basketball. After in a college, year, right. yeah, yeah, coming off the bench and shooting like forty five percent or something crazy from three. Right, but yeah, Devin Booker taken, I think ninth. Right, I thought he was out of the top ten. I could was be he? wrong on that. Oh yeah, he might. I think he. I think you were right. Yeah, Dennis Smith ninth. Steph Curry, I believe ninth, seventh. maybe seventh. Yeah, seventh. Harrison Barnes, Barnes and Barnes Curry were both seventh. seventh. Yeah, and then Thompson, I think, was eleventh or. 12th or something right and then don't tell me uh kevin durant was second because they traded for him in a signing trade yeah so it's yeah. like but wait i thought you can't go sign you know so it's like hey the whole point is you gotta hit i mean there's no there's no surefire way and i know people in philly are excited i'd be excited uh they're below 500 yeah and everyone was like writing this check of them being this great thing they'll get there i believe in those players but it's a long haul and you got to get lucky yep uh, so I feel like I feel like the way the Mavericks are going about things is a positive. Yeah, and I think that these last five games, <clears throat> watching Dennis go out there and just do really, really, really impressive things, can maybe make you think that he has arrived. But like, I don't think that he would say that he has. I definitely know Rick wouldn't say that he has. So there are still going to be games where he goes out and might not be as effective. Mm-hmm. He was just six of eighteen against the floor from the Warriors mm-hmm. in a game that was decided by three points. So. Right. But there are going to be more downs. But, dude, I mean, these ups have these been. These ups are good. Yeah, these ups aren't too bad. And in the words of, uh, speaking of ups, in the words of Steve Nash on Twitter, I would need four cumulative jumps <laughs> to have the hops of Dennis Smith Jr. How many do you think it would take, Dirk? Oh, my God. 20? <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. What is what is, uh, what is is Dirk's vertical? Is it five now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, even in his prime, sports science did a, uh, a thing about his fadeaway. Uh-huh. And, like... They were trying to make it – they weren't trying to be kind of, like, joking about it, but they said that he jumps 12 inches whenever he shoots. <laughs> <laughs> 12 inches on a jump shot. It's like you – that's not a jump shot. That's a yeah, set shot for yeah. sure. Uh, okay, so whenever we were talking in San Antonio, mm-hmm. this was, I believe, two pods ago or maybe even three. This mm-hmm. is this is a while ago. Or, no, it was after that, actually. I'm sorry. You said one thing you're going to watch for the rest of the year is Harrison Barnes's development. Or how he improves and as, a closer, as, yeah, as a closer, as a closer, as a closer. Yeah. So these last thirteen games, many of which have come in the time frame that you were talking about, um, shooting less free throws, mm-hmm. under three per game. You look at that and you think that is not no, great. Needs to be like higher. More. But four point four threes, mm-hmm. which is way higher. Mm-hmm. Shooting thirty seven percent on those, which is way higher. Mm-hmm. So his true shooting percentage, his effective field goal percentage, is way up, even though his free throws are down. Mid-range has come and gone for him this year. I, right. I don't think he's been as consistent there. His percentage is, is not as high. But he's turning some of those mid-range shots into threes. He's turning some of those mid-range shots into layups. Mm-hmm. He's just not necessarily getting the fouls. Yeah. But wh- what do you think – Carlisle called his game against OKC the best game as a Maverick or his right. best game of the season. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, what has have you seen from him, even as his numbers might not have been as uh, jump off the page as Dennis's? But, I mean, what have you seen from him lately? You know what I uh, – I don't know what the the word to describe because I don't want to say he was pressing, but what I've seen in the stretch, you, you mentioned the mid range. 
Like that shot he hit against Golden State where he was kind of had gone to the elbow from the left side and then pulled up and knocked it down and there was no one around. That's not an easy shot, you know, especially within the the context of what was going on in that game. That was big and there was just a smoothness to it. I feel like I've seen him not press at all because he talked earlier in the year about taking some blame. I forget exactly how he worded it, you know, about taking some responsibility for these close losses because they were – uh, they were looking for him and didn't deliver. I forget exactly how he worded it. But a lot of times you'll see a guy press. And so he's not pressing. He's still playing within himself. And I think that's kind of what Rick was alluding to, his best game of the year. He didn't do anything outside of himself. Everything he did was just super efficient, super effective. He'd been doing things defensively as well, being in the right position, getting some key rebounds, those sorts of things. And so the thing that I would evaluate in that is not necessarily the shots he hit or didn't hit so much as the way in which he's playing. Because you see that. You see guys put pressure on themselves and start pressing, and the caliber of the shots are off. Everything is just right in line. And, you know, you go back to what we talked about earlier, being a make-or-miss league. It's going to go in or it's not. But that, that, I guess what I would just call the steady hand and not being – I don't know what's going on in his head and in his heart and that sort of thing, but you don't see it on the floor as being, crap, this isn't going my way. You see it as, I'm going to stay true to the course, I'm going to do what we're supposed to do, and it's either going to happen or it's not. Yeah, and these last, probably this last month or so, maybe he was doing it before and I just didn't notice, but it seems like in this last month, he's gone to that, on his drives, he's gone to that spin move where he Back. starts left and then yes. turns right, or starts right and then turns left. Yeah, but yeah he's he's, he's pretty of, good finishing with his left hand too. Yeah, he really has become very good at that. Yeah, even off the glass and everything, yep. like against bigger guys too, it's really impressive. But I think whatever you do that spin move, it kind of like eliminates the chance of drawing a foul mm-hmm. unless someone tries to swipe at the ball, right? Because you're turning your body away from away them. You're from not the doing contact. the hardened bit of like showing your arms. Right. And I think earlier in the year, Barnes was shooting more free throws, but he was also missing more in the restricted area because he was trying to draw fouls. He was showing the ball. He was show- and, and that just makes it tougher to finish, I think, mm-hmm. for him maybe. Yeah. So now that he's spinning, shooting fewer free throws, but his percentage has gone way up. So now he's above – he's almost to 62% in the restricted area this wow, year. which is great. Yeah, I mean, you want to – last year he was at, I think, it's like 65, 66, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Six, above 60 is still pretty good yeah. for a guy his size, especially because he's not, like, burning past people. He's right. finishing in traffic a lot. Contested shots. Yeah. But I think now maybe he's not necessarily trying to to go to the line ten times, but also it's it's meant just making more layups. There's, I've always maintained, and I know there's different philosophies on this, but I don't think you try to draw the contact. I think you try to make the shot. And I think if you focus now, obviously if you get a guy up in the air and oh I got him, I get that. But like I think that used to hurt Dwight Powell sometimes, where he was trying to. You know, yeah, he would he would kind of swing his arms a little bit, yeah, make it like, complicated, right? It's like the, no, no, no. Try to make the shot. Just try to finish strong. Try to make the shot, and then it's refs call or they won't. Um, obviously, you don't want to just keep getting your shot blocked. There's got to be some a uh, little bit of I don't want to say trickery, but that's what the moves are for to get the the defender off balance. But I think if you get all caught up and I'm going to get to the line, that's where you can put up some shots and just have no chance of going in. Yeah, and there there were. Did seem like there were some of those earlier in yeah. the year, and less so now. I mean, it just it just seems like a more steady kind of confidence and going about doing what you're going to do, and you're going to get the results that way. Yep. Okay, skin. Before we get out of here, Sunday. Uh, so we're recording this on a Friday. Yep. I'm not sure when you're going to be listening to this. You might be listening to this on a Friday. You might wait until Monday to hear it. Mm-hmm. So this might be past tense. 
Sunday, the Mavericks are retiring Derek Harper's jersey. Yep. The number 12 jersey will hang in the rafters where it belongs, Absolutely. in my opinion. Uh, you, I've had the the pleasure to know Harp for for a couple of years now with working with the team, but you've had the pleasure of working with him for many years. Mm-hmm. So, um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any Harp stories? What has your relationship been like with him? And, and yeah, uh, so uh, I don't know. You know, some people may know this. So Harp was my favorite Maverick, always my favorite Maverick, and so I grew up. You know, with the Mavericks, I'm 46 years old, so I was... You don't look a day over 30. <laughs> you lie. Look at all this grand here. So I was 10 when the Mavericks got here. And then back then, you know, television was, there might have been a Laker game, there might have been a Sixer game, there might have been a Celtic game. So really, you know, to see the Mavericks, you had to go to the games. Well, I was lucky. In the Mavericks' second year, my dad got season tickets, so me and my dad went to, you know, every game. And so I was at every game. I, it's like the Wilt game. People will tell you they were at Moody Madness. No, they weren't. I was at Moody Madness. You took 17,007 people from Reunion Arena and tried to fit them into about 10,000 people at Moody Coliseum. So everybody wasn't there. We had good seats at Reunion. I was three rows from the top at Moody Madness. So I was there when Harp dribbled out the clock, famously against the Lakers. Mm. I mean, I can still see it in my mind. Um, but... What people don't ever talk about in that game is the Mavericks were in a position to win it because Harp was incredible down the stretch, and they they lost him. But but one of the things that I'm I'm getting to on all that is the way he handled all that that whole situation just meant a lot to me as a kid. You know, trying to play basketball and trying to be a point guard about how you approach the position and how you approach your responsibility as a player and all these kinds of things. So he always meant a lot to me. The team that I liked growing up outside of the Western Conference was the New York Knicks because they had Bernard King, and Bernard King came in here one time and scored 50, and that was the era of the scoring small forwards. We had Aguirre, blah, blah, blah. But so when he left here, he went to my other team that I loved, and they went all the way to the finals. And people always talk about game seven, John Starks going one for 17 or whatever it was. Harp was incredible in that game. And so, you know, I have tons of memories of him as a player that I love, but honestly, my favorite Harp memory is I went on a road trip with the team. Uh, we went to Philly, and then we went to New York, and the New York Sunday game was an ABC game, so we weren't broadcasting it. And they had Harp sitting on the baseline, okay? And he's sitting down there, and he's sitting next to Mike D of the Beastie Boys. And in between quarters— That's an odd couple. Yeah, man. In between quarters, they put him on their version of the Jumbotron. And Bobby, you just can't imagine. I mean, just people went freaking nuts and that's for a guy he only played two three two, four years yeah or? yeah yeah i can't remember exactly was it three and a half or because he Something was traded like mid-season yeah i mean they went bonkers you would have thought we were in dallas and dirk was put on the board after he retired i mean it was just nuts and new york is a historic place for basketball and on and on and on but it just goes to show you the appreciation and the love you know one of the things harp says is if they had won that championship he probably would have never come back to dallas and he loves Dallas, and his family's raised here, and on and on and on, because he would have been a god there, right? They probably would have named a building after him or whatever. It's just, it's freaking New York. So uh, he's got this kind of bittersweet feeling about all that. Uh, and I think, you know, he's, he's I don't want to say he's a stoic guy, but he's not overly emotional. And so I think, like we've seen in the last couple weeks, how much this is meaning to him. And so he's going to try to, you know, do the brave face and all this stuff. But, dude, he's feeling this. Yep. 
It's going to be awesome too, man. It's going to be awesome. I just, I've been so looking forward to this. Just aside from, it's weird to have someone that you really idolized growing up and now you work next to them, you know, and it's just, it's, it's an awesome thing. I'm just, I'm really excited for him. I'm excited for me, man. I'm going to be giddy over this whole thing. It's going to be awesome. And uh, that game on Sunday is when it's going to happen. The game starts at six. So it's an early tip and you guys on the broadcast will be carrying that stuff live, right? Yes, I the, believe the, so. The ceremony is at halftime. I, right. I think you're going to be broadcasting through halftime, commercial-free, everything. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so if you're not at the game, uh, then get a ticket. And if you d- can't get a ticket, then watch on Fox and uh, watch it happen. Watch it all unfold. It's going to be awesome. You, you want to be in – I don't know if it's sold out yet, but you want to be in the building for this. Yeah. This is special. Yeah. I mean, it's historic. It's the first number to be retired. I was at the game when they retired Rose Jersey, and that was like, I think, 2001 or something. Mm-hmm. So I was still pretty young at that point. I didn't really get it. Actually, it was at reunion, so yeah, it was before the end of the reunion era, like '99 or something. Yeah, something right? like that. Yeah. And I was I was very young, and I didn't get it. But now, I mean, I'm 26, so I'm still very young. I never saw Hart play his first time. I did his second time, but um, yeah. I mean, I can't wait. Awesome. I guess one more thing I could share with people uh, is when you see the way people in the league react around him. Like when we play the Clippers, there will be three or four times a game where Doc turns around and says something to Hart. <laughs> And back when Kobe played, Kobe went out of his way to find Harp. Really? Because Harp was a Laker, I believe, in Kobe's rookie year, if I have that right. He was there during – I think he played for the Lakers during the lockout season or in the year before. I think okay. two years in L.A. Okay. So that would have been, like, right at the beginning. Right. Right at the beginning. And Kobe. so Kobe just has just all the respect in the world for him. Yeah. Well, and you see players now, like I, – I can't remember where we were. We were somewhere on the road. And like three or four guys came up and and said hey to Harp like during layup lines and mm-hmm. I just turned to Earl and was like do they is there a connection there and Earl said no they just he's, guys just really love him he's an OG baby yeah he's and why you have to respect him too the way he played yeah I mean he increased his scoring average I think the first eight years of his career yep. year to year increased yep. it ended up going to the finals and I mean dude he's just a a hard-nosed guy, great defender, mm-hmm. good player, really, really good player. He's our so. all-time steals leader and assist. I think assists. Or yeah. he might be, yeah, no, first in assists, first in steals, top five in games played, games started, field goals, threes, mm-hmm. everything. His name is all over the record book. He awesome, baby. Yeah, he is awesome. And Skin, you're awesome too, man. Oh, Bobby, so are you. Oh, thanks. This is an awesome podcast. It's the most awesomest. I had a great time. Maxi Kleba had a great time. Skin, of course, had a great time. The Mavs are hopefully going to have a great time tonight against Chicago and on Sunday against the Knicks when Harp gets his jersey in the rafters. Uh, Whenever you listen to this podcast, I hope it finds you well. And uh, happy 2018, by the way. Happy 2018. Yeah, let's do it big this year. This is Numbers on the Boards. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Numbers on the boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corrala.